Hi, you've just downloaded or otherwise accessed a podcast of Cross Point Church and the teaching ministry presented through our weekly Sunday morning worship. Feel free to burn a copy of this file when you're finished and pass it along to a friend you think might also benefit from the teaching. We hope you enjoy the message today, and thanks again for taking the time to visit. Shout out the name to me of your favorite teacher from K through 12. Who? Edison. Browning. Webb. Tabor. I liked them all. <laughs> Miss Birchfield was mine. I've, I've shared with you a story before from, about her that she was the first person who helped me see, I, well, commanded me to see really more, is a more appropriate way, that I was a leader and that I had, had leadership ability. In fact, she took me aside. She said, Mr. Parker, you're a leader, son. Now start acting like it. Okay, what's that look like? <laughs> she said, well, people are watching what you do. Start to do the right thing. And know that people are, are, are following your lead on a lot of things. And so I, I kind of came into that green a little bit, but she encouraged me and uh, was a lover of the Lord as well and followed him and so made a huge impact in my life. And so those kinds of people that do that stay with us. We remember their their ways, remember their attitudes, their their tenacity with us. They stick with us, and I think that's what Jesus meant as, as we looked three or four weeks ago at this idea of of the Great Commission of being your your, your walking orders in mind as believers, being to go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them. So we're going to look at today this third leg, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. And I'm with you all the time doing that. So what are his commands? What, what is he teaching us to do? Turn to Matthew chapter 22. And we're going to look here at this idea of, of uh, teaching his commands to those around us. Disciple making we talked about is the process of, first of all, bringing people into our world. And then next, into our walk, into our heart. To, to, to see who we are, what we believe, why we, why we believe the things we do and make the decisions we do. Then this idea of living evangelical as opposed to cultural, we looked at last week, was not a calling, but rather a lifestyle, something that grows out of the cracks of who we are and not just something we put on to come on Sunday or put on to, to share with, even with somebody else. So let's look, look at this idea of teaching his commands from Matthew 22, verses 34 to 40 together. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together one of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. All the law and the prophets, the entire Old Testament, he says, hangs on these two commandments. Love God, love others. Now, let's look at, break this down a little bit in, in four areas. What did he command? He commanded, first of all, that we love God deeply. He commanded we love God deeply. Look at verse 37 again with me. He says, Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart. With all your heart. When you see the word heart in the scripture, it's usually nine times out of ten dealing with our emotions. 
things we feel, the things that, that drive us, that motivate us, that push us uh, into, into areas we would not otherwise go. It's talking about our heart and that, that is the, the, the center of, these, of our affections. So how do we do that? How do we love God with all of our heart? Well, it's impossible without the Holy Spirit to do that. That's why the indwelling Spirit comes at salvation to fill us up with himself so that we can live out of our heart to who he is. L- listen to Galatians 5, 22 to 25. It says this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. Boom, off the top. Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. First phrase again says, the fruit of the Spirit is love. How do we love others? How do we love God? By leaning on and listening to his Spirit. He's a source of all real, all genuine emotion we feel or should be in our walk with Christ. Should be the source of our emotions. He's the, the Spirit is the, the, the discerner, the one who helps level between truth and error, between what's right and what's wrong, what we should follow and what we shouldn't. He's that great discerner, that great lever to say, trust this, let that go. Trust that, let this go. That's, that's one of the roles, <clears throat> excuse me, of the Holy Spirit. And so he, he helps us see what is real from what is manipulation. <clears throat> and if we are ever in a culture that needs to see the difference between those two things, we're in a culture that needs to see the difference between real and true and what's, what, what is manipulation because there are efforts <clears throat> to manipulate us into a passive faith, to manipulate us into keeping what we have in this room and never letting it get out of here or out of, in your home and never, never letting it get out of your home. And that is intentional. <clears throat> it starts not with the media, not with it. it starts in the pit of hell. That's where it starts. And so it, it's devi- it, there's uh, uh, designed by the enemy to infiltrate our walk and our world and keep us silent, keep us uh, from, from sharing the love of Christ with others, keep us from loving him deeply. John 16, 13 and 14 says this in terms of talking about the spiritual role, when he, the spirit of truth comes, watch this, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me. He is from me and he will receive what he will make known to you from me. John 16. So we see here the work of the spirit in our ability to love God deeply. You remember the story, I've shared it with you several times, of Peter by the seashore after the resurrection, Peter's redemption story by the seashore. And you know the questions Jesus asked him, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Ask him three times. The first two times he asked him, Peter, do you have any affection for me? Do you phileo me? Peter says, you know that I do, Lord. But the third time he says, Peter, do you agape me? Do you love me more than anything, anybody, anywhere, all the time? Do you agape me? Is, is, it, is it that kind of love? Is it just a surface love that you and I are buds or is there something much deeper than that? And that just as there are levels to love, there, there are levels to our obedience in following him to teach others commands. And so we have to love him deeply to see that, the importance of that. When the Holy Spirit becomes our security, and he should be that for us, when he becomes our security, we can love him in total abandonment. When we know our salvation is secure, our way and our walk is secure, our future is secure, we can and should love God in total abandonment because we know the Holy Spirit is our, is our security all the way through that. We love God deeply. Second thing he commanded 
is that we love God willingly. Next part of verse 37 says this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, and watch this, and with all your soul, with all your soul. When you see the word soul in scripture, it's talking about our will, the things that drive us, that, 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 that we want to do or don't want to do, want to become or don't want to become. So we love him not because we have to, but because we want to. And that story goes all the way back to creation, all the way back to the garden. Jesus could have commanded and forced, manipulated Adam and Eve to love him, yet he doesn't. He gives them, puts them in a garden, gives them the perfect, the perfect model, a perfect example of everything, and says, here's a tree, and here's a choice with the tree. You, you choose to disobey me, and you'll be separated from me. You choose to obey me, and all this is yours forever. Well, you know the choice. He didn't want puppets. He didn't want to manipulate man and woman into loving him and following him. So he gives them a choice and gives you and I a choice today to say, listen, here it is. It's yours to choose. It's yours to choose to love me, to follow me, to come after me. A huge difference between um, obedience and, and obedience being tied to love. Obedience out of obligation is what most of the, our Christian kingdom today is walking to and from and out of. But obedience that's, that's motivated by love, because we love him, we want to obey him, is what he's talking about here. We love him willingly. Uh, it's, it's oftentimes like a, the relationship between a parent and a child, where trying to get a child to obey as they're young is usually a process of, of uh, correction and consequence. Uh, a child heads in a different way, reaches for something they, they shouldn't reach for. You correct and there's consequences to that, to, to that correction. If they don't respond to your correction, there's consequence in your, in your punishment of, of them. If they, if they touch or, or go after what, there's usually a consequence in that too. If it's a hot eye, a hot stove, or something they're going to spill and get on themselves, there's consequence to, to, to decisions we make. And that's exactly what he's talking about here, that you love me willingly, not, not that you're manipulated to, to, to love me or forced to love me, but you love me because you want to. You love me out of love and respect. Huge difference out of loving him out of fear and loving him out of respect that we have for him. Um, it's, it, is, it is this idea of loving him willingly or loving him forcefully. And he, he calls us and commands us to love him, love him deeply, love him willingly. Thirdly, he commands that we love God intentionally. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, 37, with all your soul. And then the thir- third part is with all your mind. When you see the word mind in the scripture, it's talking about our intellect. The things that, that filter through our mind that we think on and dwell on each day. Philippians 4, 8 and 9 says this. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Think on these things, whatever is true, lovely, admirable. Think on these things. Let your mind dwell. Let, 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 let that be your default place where your mind goes to, 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 to those kinds of places. And so he's saying here that you don't leave your mind at the door when you come into a love relationship with me. It's not, it's not you know, logic is gone and, and our, our mental acuity, our, our, our ability mentally to process what God is doing in us, that we've set that aside and blindly just by faith follow and trust him. Paul, <clears throat> we'll look at here in just a second, uh, goes to the temple to, to, to reason with them each day. And, and the Lord in Revelation says, come, let's reason together. Let's, 
Let's process this. Let's, let's process this life versus that life. Let's process walking with me versus cult, cultural Christianity. Let's process what it looks like to be a fully devoted follower of Christ versus what this world wants to position you and package you to be and keep you on the shelf. Let's look at the difference between those two things and reason to yourself which is better for me, which, which, which works best for me. Here's, uh, here's a word from Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18. Come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they'll be as white as snow, they're red as crimson, they shall be like wool. Come now, let us settle this matter, says the Lord. In other words, consider this with me. Let your mind come to a settled place on this truth. In essence, is what he's saying out of that passage. That we love him intentionally because we want to. Acts 17, 17 speaks to Paul going to the synagogue. It says, so he reasoned in synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as, watch this, in the marketplace day by day to those who happened to be there. He didn't go and preach. He went and said, let's talk about this. Let's discuss this <clears throat> This messiahship of Jesus to see, is, is he the one? Is he the, is he the real, real deal? Is he the McCoy? Let's, let's reason together with this to say, let's, let's open and examine God's word and see what it has to say in relation to what you believe and see if what you believe lines up with what he says. That's exactly what he's talking about. As we reason together, we don't leave our mind at the door. We love him on purpose. Now, our priorities change when our mind changes, our relationship changes, our marriage changes, our checkbook changes, our vocations change. And we love God intentionally. But we love him even though sometimes, and you've been here as well, I've been here many times in my life, we love him beyond our feeling saved. There's times in your life, perhaps even this week, you don't feel like a follower of Jesus. And I don't either sometimes. Um, so, but whether I feel that way or not, I love him based on the promises in his word that says, I've got you. I'll never, ever leave you. I put a seal on your, on your heart with the Holy Spirit. I've sealed that, that relationship. <clears throat> and you pray to receive Christ. I'm yours, you're mine, that bond will stay. The promises of his word get beyond my own feelings. Because sometimes I don't feel like I'm, I'm very Christ-like. Or I don't feel like he, he abides in me or he walks in me or speaks through me. But whether I feel that way or not, it is still true because of the promises of his word. And the indwelling Holy Spirit to speak to my heart, and remind me, bring me back to those places again and again. Here's what he said. Here's what he said. Here's what he said. Live in, live in the truth of what he said, not how you feel about what he said. Huge difference between those two places. We, we, we love him not because we feel saved, but because his promises are true. So <clears throat> we love him deeply. We love him willingly. We're commanded to love him in, in, intentionally. But finally, we, we're commanded that we love others selflessly. We love others selflessly. Look at verse 39 with me. He says this. <clears throat> this is the first and greatest commandment. He says, verse 38, verse 39. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. To love your neighbor as yourself. Our default position. <clears throat> <clears throat> Sorry. And this goes back to the garden as well. Our default position is what is best for me. As I've said many times, we come out of the womb Wanting what's best for me, keep me warm, keep me fed, meet my needs, make me happy. We come out of the womb self-consumed. That's by the design of the God that we do that because of what happened in the garden. It, it, it is not natural to live selflessly. It's natural to live selfish. But he says here, we have to unlearn those habits and take myself and put myself behind the cross in order to live and love others selflessly. Uh, there, where, there is, where there's no angle, there's no advantage, 
Uh, in fact, listen to Ephesians chapter 3. This is from the message translation. It says, And I ask him that both, with both feet planted firmly on love, you'll be able to take it in, take in with all the followers of Jesus, the extravagant dimensions of Christ's love. Reach out and experience its breadth. Test its length. Plumb its depths. Rise to its heights. Live full lives in the fullness of God. He, he says, test, test the, the, the extravagant, uh, extravagant dimensions of God's love. Reach out and experience its, its breadth. Test its height. Plumb its depths. Rise to its heights. Live lives, full lives, in the fullness of God. If, if you're reading from the NIV, it's going to say, you need to be rooted and established in love. And that's just to say, the default place from which we love others is the love we have for God. It needs to be, it needs to be our love for others need, need to be rooted and established in our love for him, our love for his word, our, our love for his spirit and what he says. Love, he's saying in this passage in, in, in both ways, our love for him and our love for others. Love is foundational to everything else. And for the believer, that's what it should look like. It should look like our foundation. Uh, we'll, uh, folks around us in our world and in our walk, they'll never be discipled. They'll never be evangelized, and they'll never be taught unless they're first loved. We've got to love them first before we can earn the right to disciple them, earn the right to evangelize them, baptize them, and earn the right to teach them his ways and his commands. First, we've got to love them. First. He said that's, that's the foundational thing, that, that, that we'd be rooted and established in love. Um, as I asked you earlier, think back on the people that have taught you the most in your life. And my guess would be, it's probably true for you as it's true for me, you knew they loved you. And they taught you a lot about either the Lord or life or whatever because you knew the love they had for you. And that impacted you. But I, I, would, I would submit to you that what, what impacted you more than what they taught you is how well they loved you. And how easily it was for you to follow after that kind of teaching because you knew that, that it was based in love for you and, and not just based in some theory somewhere. Uh, Love is the greatest platform for all the teaching we'll ever give or receive. It's got to be rooted and grounded in love. And love needs to be the foundation for living selflessly and loving others selflessly. So what do you command? That we love God deeply, that we love God in willingly, that we love God intentionally, and that we love others selflessly. That's, that's in, in a nutshell, what he says here is wrapped up in, in, in the commands of God to, to you and I. That's, that's what we're supposed to look like and walk like. Now, an observation as we wrap up, and that's this. His commands couldn't be easier to understand. As I said earlier, love God, love others. How complicated is that? The, he said the nutshell, the, the nuts and bolts of what, what, what wraps up all of Scripture, certainly all of the Old Testament, is love God, love people. Love God, love others, in that order. Couldn't be simpler. But why does following him seem so, so more, far more complex than that? I would submit to you it's because of a culture that wants you to have a foot in the culture, cu cultural Christianity, and a foot in radical Christianity. They want you to keep a foot sold out to Jesus when you're together with us and sold out to them when you're together with them. It, it complicates this whole, this whole process and picture of our, our, our becoming fully devoted followers of Christ because we're trying to hang on to the thinking of this world and walk in the truth of what God's Word says at the same time, and those two can't coexist. Now, they, they can exist together, but they can't coexist together in one person. We're living and walking in a world that's broken. We don't have to be broken along with it. 
We don't have to walk broken along with it. We don't have to think broken along with it. We can live redeemed, bought and paid for lives that love others deeply and selflessly and love God unconditionally. Um, it couldn't be easier to understand. Love God, love people. Now, cultural, cultural Christians can and do often add some what-ifs to this, to, to this, this love picture. What if they don't love me back? Many times they won't. What if they take advantage of my love? Oftentimes they will. What if they're needy and clingy and, and, cons and consume my time? Sometimes God will require that of us in order to love others well. What if they're homosexual and they misunderstand my love for them, male to male or female to female? They mi misunderstand that bond. What if they don't agree with me? I'm going to tell you, they don't agree with you. They have a much different, our, our culture has, in fact, cultural Christians have a much different cult, cultural worldview than, than evangelical Christians do. And that worldview should, should not only be obvious and paint a picture of our, our worldview to them, but that ought to be done in and through this vehicle, he says here, of your love for me and your love for them. It's not a matter of you're wrong, of their wrong and you're right. It's a matter of you, you've loved them to the degree that you, they, they see the wrong in themselves and understand that it is the Holy Spirit that's convicting them and bringing the wrong to their heart and to their mind. So it's obvious in this text and what we've looked at for the last few weeks that you and I have a mission. The question is, are we engaged? Is that something that looks good up on the wall? You got a mission. Yeah. The Great Commission, Matthew 28. That's a, are we engaged? Meaning, are we loving God deeply, willingly, intentionally? And are we loving others selflessly? That's what the picture of the Great Commission looks like. That's what the great picture of teaching others the things I've commanded you looks like, is loving God deeply, willingly, and intentionally, and loving others. And, and his words at the end of that text was, and I'm always with you wherever you go. You can be in the pit, I'm with you in the pit. You can be in a hard place, I'm with you in the hard place. You can be in a place of blessing, I'm with you there too. You can be in church, I'm with you there. You can be on your job, I'm with you there. He's saying, I'm with you wherever you go. Take me and you'll take this love with you. Leave me on the shelf at, at, at church on Sunday and you'll have a hard time finding me on Tuesday afternoon. But you take me with you. Understand that I'm with you and I'll never leave you ever ever for any reason anywhere at any time and it, it'll be far easier to bring me into conversation with people than leaving me on the shelf at home and that's really what our faith boils down to is letting him come out of the cracks of our conversation such that people see there's just something different about you can't put my finger on exactly but something different and then the questions come what do you believe about child raising what do you believe about handling money what do you believe about What's your political view, worldview? What do you believe about our, our, our education in, in America? What do you believe? Then the questions come and it gives you an opportunity to share. Here's what I believe. I believe that I love God with all my heart, soul, and mind, and I love you as much as more, in fact, than I love me. I love you. So that'll come through. Your, that should come through the cracks of our conversations with folks. But it's far easier to do that if we know he's with us every step of the way. He'll, 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 and I'm tell you, I promise you he will open doors for you if you won't leave him. If, if you bring him and won't leave him on the shelf, you'll see the doors open up conversationally for you at work, with family, with friends that may be lost. He'll see that those, those doors open up. And then our, our readiness has to respond to say, I'm here to love you to him. I'm not here to tell you what you need to do to repent. That's the, that's the Spirit's work to do. I'm here to love you 
to Jesus and let the Spirit expose truth to you along the process of that. Now, is that something easy? No. It's not. And as we looked at a couple of weeks ago, it's because the enemy wants us to think it's all on you. Every bit of this on you. You got to know all the scripture. You got to say all the right things. You got to really be prayed up. And those are all good things, but it's not all on you. As we looked at a couple of weeks ago, it's on him. In fact, all of it, the response is on him. And so if we know he's with us, if we know that all, all the reaction response to our witness is on him, it makes it far easier to say, tell me what you think about Jesus. Tell me, t- give, me your, give me your faith background. Share, share with me your faith story. I'm going I'm to tell you, there is, there, I don't want to get too, too deep into, into mytho- methodology here, but um, there are some best practices when breaching conversation with people about faith. That's one that I found to be true to work oftentimes in a totally unthreatening way. Tell me a little bit about your faith journey. Faith journey. Well, and I, again, I've never asked that question that I've not gotten a response, ever. There are, and I don't want to get into other methods with you, but there is, it's, it's far different than my, my mistake of what I told you a couple of weeks ago, knocking on that door as a 13-year-old boy and a 10-year-old kid coming to the door and saying, are you saved, son? That, that, that's kind of a shocker to him. And, and the response was kind of a shocker to me. I was ready to run off the porch. In fact, I did. We, both of us did. But if we can learn to make him conversational, and that's, a, that's just one, one of, I, I can tell you more if you want to ask me more. I, there's four or five, half a dozen that I've used in the past. But if you can, if you can help breach faith conversations with people, I'm going to tell you, they'll start to open up to you because they'll trust the fact that you trust, you, you really want to know. You're not there to judge their life. You want to know what they feel, what they think, where that comes from, what, what their background is. And so if they, if they know and feel you love them and are interested in them, they'll open up to you. Until they do, they probably never will. But breach those conversational uh, faith opportunities, opportunities to share your faith in, in ways that you know the Spirit's led you there, you know that the opportunity's there, you know that he's opened the door, and walk through it when he does. Don't be afraid to do so. We disciple them, we evangelize them, we teach them all of God's commands. They'll find their way to God if we do those things. In fact, you won't, you won't have to say, can I share the plan of salvation with you? They'll say, share the plan of salvation with me. Tell me the story. I see it in your life. I want to know the God you know. Tell me your story. Uh, There is uh, power in his story and your story coming together. I, I say that often, but there is. God uses it again and again and again. Seize the opportunities that he opens up to you to share it. Father, today we've come here with um, hopefully open minds and hearts to the fact that you want us to bring others into discipleship. You want other, us to bring others into, into baptism, into evangelism. And you want us to, to disciple and teach folks what your word says, how to love, how to love you effectively, deeply, intentionally, unconditionally, how to love them unselfishly. And the process of our building relationship needs to look like those kinds of things. And if they do and when they do, you bring folks our way with open minds and open hearts to receive truth and receive the Lord Jesus as their Savior. So as we engage, as we, as we understand the mission and engage the mission, would you cause our obedience to you to bear fruit, whether we're planting, whether we're watering, 
or whether we're reaping. You, you brought us to, to a place of relationship to folks to, to, to delve into conversations with them about faith, about you, about their journey, and about how, how their eternity can be changed in knowing you as their Savior. But if we were ever, ever, ever in a time where our culture needs Jesus, we're in those days today. And we have great opportunity facing us in the midst of cultural crisis, cultural manipulation, fear, anxiety. We're standing in the middle of great opportunity for people to come to Jesus. But we've got to initiate the conversation. We've got to breach the subject. We've got to build relationships with others. We've got to invite others into our world and into our walk. As we do, we want to see people come to Jesus. Teach us the obedience of following you out of love for you, not out of obligation, but out of our love for you, willingly, des desperately, deeply, intellectually, and loving others like you love them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening to today's message from Crosspoint Church, helping people navigate the journey toward an authentic, biblical, and contagious walk with Christ.